The Take What Serves, Leave the Rest podcast is sponsored by Prairie Care. You know, going through the process of getting help with your mental health can be very overwhelming. I definitely know that from firsthand experience. Prairie Care can help guide you through it and get you in touch with the help that you need. They've been offering mental health services to all ages in the Twin Cities of Minnesota since 2005. Whether you're looking for clinical services, a specialty outpatient program, or a more intensive level of care like inpatient treatment, Prairie Care has you and your family covered. Visit prairie-care.com to learn more. That's prairie-care.com. Well, hello there, my friend, and a welcome into this episode of the Take What Serves, Leave the Rest podcast. My name is Brian Pyatt, and welcome in. Welcome in. So glad that you're here. Today on this episode, I am talking to Sam Eaton. Sam is an author. He is a speaker. He is the founder of Recklessly Alive. And he opens up, shares with us in this episode, his mental health story, um, in particular, um, his experience with depression and living with suicidal thoughts. Uh, Sam nearly took his own life back in in 2011, um, made the decision to stay, and now travels the country um, sharing his story and doing such important, needed vital work um, talking about this with other people who, who so desperately need to hear it. So um, we cover a number of different things in this episode. Uh, I love, um, we touch on kind of this idea of finding that balance sometimes between when do we rest, when do we comfort ourselves, and when do we also kind of know when we need to push ourselves to do some of the things that we don't necessarily feel like doing um, talk about other things that have helped him along the way and, um, just, uh, uh, a, a very meaningful conversation that I hope, I hope that you find useful as well. Um, want to obviously just give everybody a heads up here that, um, we, we, we talk uh, quite a bit about suicide in this, in this episode and that topic. So, um, just want you to take care of yourself. If you know that, um, that's a tough, tough subject for you to listen to. Um, do what you need to do, do what you need to do, of course, to take care of you. And um, also want to pass along the um, suicide and crisis lifeline. Um, right now, you can dial on your phone 988 and um, that will get you in touch with the resources that you need if you or someone you know is in need of help immediately. Um, we touch, a, a, especially, um, at, at a certain point here in this episode about how do we, how do we support people? How do we be there for people? Um, and Sam has some, some beautiful, beautiful advice around that. And also just want to make sure that, um, you know, that that resource is there. If someone is, is in immediate danger, um, make sure that you're calling that lifeline and reaching out for help, um, to get, to get people the help that they need. So, uh, with that, um, let's go ahead and, and dive in. I know that, um, I know that this this topic can can certainly be um, a lot to process sometimes, and so um, be gentle with you as you listen to this. And um, once again, a, a big thank you to Sam for for joining us here on the episode. Here we go. Mm-hmm. 
thank you so much for being here, for, for taking some time out of your morning to, to sit down and, and join the podcast. It's so great to have you. My pleasure. Thank you. We have our tea in front of us. Yes, we are ready to go. Very essential for a, a podcast recording. Um, Sam, it's been so cool to, to watch just what you're doing out there in, in the world. I've been able to kind of watch it from afar on the social medias and all of that. And um, really excited to be able to like sit down and, and hear more about your story and, and just the ways that, that you're showing up in the world. Um, we, were, we were talking before I, I hit record and um, I always say like, I hate asking this question this way, like tell us your mental health story. Because it's it's such a huge question, and I don't even really know how to ask it sometimes. But um, I always find maybe starting with where do you like to begin, like when you're when you're talking about what what you've gone through with your mental health. Absolutely, I you can't talk about my mental health without talking about some childhood trauma. Unfortunately, yeah. um, my dad was an alcoholic because of that disease, he just caused a lot of pain in my life. Um, my house wasn't a place I liked to be. At the core, he was a very nice man, um, but the alcohol just did some things to him. And I struggled, I struggled a lot. He left when I was 12. Um, I haven't seen him since really, I don't have a relationship with him. And my mom was a single mom working two and three jobs to keep us going. Mm. Um, in uh, middle school, I was I was doing so great. Like I was on the basketball team, I was on the honor roll, and when I got to high school, it all fell apart. Mm. I couldn't concentrate. I used to write, "I'm stupid" on my papers over and over again. I hate my life. Uh, I, I hated what I looked like. I was chubbier. I had acne, um, and I just didn't know that what I was experiencing is called depression. Right? Yeah. No one stood up in front of me and said, "What you're experiencing." is actually an illness. There's help, there's hope, but I, I didn't get help for it for almost 10 years, which actually matches kind of the statistics. They say it takes eight to 10 years before someone will seek treatment. And that's one of the many things that motivates what I do. Um, but I had no clue how much that trauma and that, mm -hmm. that struggle in such an important stage of my life really affected my brain. So heartbreaking when I hear that stuff about how long kids go without having any idea of what they're going through. And I think it was, was it, do you find it was a different time back then too, when it comes to mental health, like these things probably just weren't talked about as much. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I, I do think we're finally getting to a place. I think COVID in many regards accelerated that where we're being more open. Like yeah. we will talk about it. I mean, I was almost 30 years old till I heard anyone talk about suicide. I grew up in the church. Definitely no one talked about mental health. And the first time it was talked about, it was actually a video of my story. So mm. uh, there just was no awareness of, oh, hey, there actually might be something wrong with you. Yeah. It, beyond just who you are, right? Yeah. Like you're not a mistake. You're, your body's not a mistake. You're just, your brain's a little sick and yeah. we, can, we can help heal that. And such a big difference, right, between there's something wrong with you versus there's something that's going on with your brain that we can work with. Absolutely. And some tools that we can teach you. So so that's in high school. Things really intense. Um, and I know a lot of the work that you do, and you, you mentioned it, um, talking about suicidal thoughts. Mm -hmm. And suicide is something that that is a, a real central focus of, of the message that you put out there. Um, what... What more do you want to say about that? And then kind of, I know you got to a point where 
you, you share that, that piece of your story. Absolutely. Uh, when I was 23 after college, it really hit rock bottom. Uh, an important relationship in my life had ended. I had over $90,000 of student loan debt because I just wasn't smart about college. I would moved back home to save money because I was teaching and making 12 cents an hour and not literally, but mm-hmm. yeah, teaching. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's where we're at. And, uh, but all this trauma that I hadn't dealt with still at 23 was coming back up in this place where all every single day I'm walking by the rooms where some of those things happened. Yeah. Um, and I had had passive suicidal thoughts for most of my life. Passive meaning, you know, I don't want to be here or I wish I didn't exist. And very fleeting active suicidal thoughts, active being like thinking about how I might do this or Googling something. Mm -hmm. But it was, it became a slippery slope where that became more and more what my suicidal thoughts were until I actually picked a day. Um, I kind of gave myself this ultimatum. I was like, either I'm going to do this or never think about it again. Mm. Um, Because I'd been in so much pain. and, And, you know, one of the biggest misconceptions about suicide is truthfully it's just when your pain is higher than your ability to cope you don't you can't see how things will get better your brain is is sick a lot of people report feeling numb like you're not feeling anything at all Um, the things that you used to love no longer feel pleasurable or fun you just are kind of in this comatose state of existence between feeling nothing and pain and Mm. i just wanted out I wanted out and I saw the burden that my mental illness was taking on other people. I was getting all these labels as like negative, not fun to be around. You know, I would, I would be at a party with my friends and I would kind of have these panic attacks and I would just have to kind of abruptly leave. And I saw myself starting to get phased out and, and just the hurt that those people experienced because I, I couldn't and I didn't know why and I didn't have any tools to cope. Yeah. What, what, do you remember what you were kind of telling yourself? as Because you didn't really have an understanding when you're leaving the parties and things like that of like, oh, there's this thing called depression. Absolutely. Do, do you remember at all what you were like, um, how you were rationalizing or like trying to understand that in your mind of what was going on? There is this pull in depression, this to the sad. Like there's something about the alone and the sadness that is addicting right? Mm. Like I can be alone in a dark room by myself and I'm safe there. And Mm. no one like you're, and and you don't realize you're kind of building this prison actually, right? You're isolating everyone against you or away from you. And you are, you're sitting ruminating on all these horrible things that you, that I hadn't processed, you Mm -hmm. know, bullying and abuse and, um, you know, breakups. And and I I had no outlet for this. Um, Mm. so I, I was feeling shame, truly, like deep shame of not liking who I was. And I, I had no, I had no way to open up that conversation. The one person I had told in college about my suicidal thoughts burst into tears Mm. and I saw the pain that that caused her and I just didn't tell anyone ever again. Yeah. And that's a lot to, to maneuver by yourself. Absolutely. And it, you know, you brought up the word isolation. Um, I resonate deeply with that word because I, I find for me on my really tough days and when things are really hard, I always feel like that's kind of my natural instinctual reaction is to isolate and to withdraw. And 
it's like the thing that I want to do the most, but it's also the thing that I know is the worst thing for me. And it's hard. It's hard to get out of that. It's such a balance. It's hard. Even, you know, now I'm 34. I literally just lived that maybe a month ago. I was having a really tough day. My friends invited me to dinner. I started typing, no thank you. I paused and I was like, yeah, I'll see you in a half hour. And I just Mm, pushed myself to go. But again, that's just one of those coping tools that I've learned over the last 11 years. You know, you you start to learn your body, you start to learn your brain, and you you find your way through some of those tougher Mm. moments. But I, I just didn't have any of that at 23. Yeah. And we'll talk more about those tools and things like that coming up here. Um, I want to touch on, so you actually picked a day where you decided you were going to I picked Christmas Day, actually. You know, we hear people always say, like, suicide is the most selfish thing you could ever do. It's so selfish. And Mm. it's just become one of my life missions to push back on that because I understand it comes from a place of hurt. And yes, when someone takes their life, it passes pain on to other people. I get that. But if you could experience the amount of pain I was in when I was making that decision, even for just a minute, I don't think you would say it was selfish. I think you'd say, I get it. Mm. it it's, it's rooted in this deep shame and this deep pain. That's mm-hmm. what it is. I actually picked Christmas Day because I was thinking of my family. I, I mean, truly, the brain gets sick and twisted. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I truly believed they would be better off without me. Because I'm just going to keep saying it because my brain was sick, right? Yes. It's like we don't, I, I, we don't have to believe everything that we think, but I did. I did. Mm-hmm. And so I picked Christmas Day because I was like, this is already going to be a hard day for them. And I was trying to care for them even in the aftermath of me not being around. Mm-hmm. And so I actually, I woke up that day. I had written goodbye letters. I had boxed things up. Wow. Um, I put a note on the bathroom door. I didn't want anyone to find me. And I wrestled with the decision the entire day. Wow. I mean, it truly was just hell. I was yeah. sobbing. I would, you know, lay down on the to- cold tile floor. I would stand back up. I would look at myself in the mirror. Mm. Finally, late in the evening, I just started counting backwards from 10. Mm-hmm. And truly. And, and um, you know, growing up without a dad, it was these, my masculinity was being attacked by my own brain, right? Like mm-hmm. you're not even man enough to do this. Like mm-hmm. that was the intense, that's just a little insight to how intense my brain was and how under attack I was from mm-hmm. my own brain. Luckily I got to about three and this feeling broke through this question. It was like, have you really given life everything you've got? Don't know where that came from. Hmm. Don't know why that was there. Um, But truly it was, I'm not sure that you've tried everything that you can to get out of this situation you're in. Mm. And that, that was it. That was my breakthrough moment. I ran out of the bathroom. I started driving. Um, I drove for several hours. Finally, late in the evening, I count, I watched the minutes tick by on my clock in downtown Minneapolis, 11.58, 11.59, midnight. Mm. I had made it. Made it through the day. I had decided to stay. And I was committed to following through with that ultimatum. Like, I made the choice to stay. Mm-hmm. Now I'm going to try to fight my way through this. And I wish I could say I was instantly healed and life was perfect and no i of course not of course but i have been suicidal several times since Mm -hmm. as i mentioned before now i have better tools i have 
better people, people yeah. who I have let in and, yeah. and helped them understand how they can help me. Yeah. And uh, it's been a long time. It's an ongoing process. It's not a short a story that I enjoy sharing. Right. It's not something I like talking about. However, we just have to. Yeah. We have to find a way to share stories like this. So for now, that's my little gift to the world yeah. is sharing some of that. Yeah. Um, it's emotional to, to hear you share that. Um, yeah. And what uh, what's it like to talk about it? You know, like some, some years removed from it. I mean, you, sh- you share it a lot, I know, through the work that you do. But what is it What is it like to, to hear yourself talk about it today? I mean, when we share about trauma, oftentimes our body relives that trauma. Mm-hmm. And so I had a therapist say to me, you'll get to a day where you enjoy sharing it. And mm-hmm. I was like, mm, I still don't believe him, honestly. He's a good man. But <laughs> it has gotten easier over time. And people who follow me, I share it in a similar way because it's protective of me, right? Like I kind of have it rehearsed a little bit um, because it's so intense to share. And it used to take me down for a day or two after I shared it. Mm -hmm. I'm in a much better place now. I've figured out, okay, I can share this. I can detach from it a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm just in such a better place in my life. And I get to see the impact. Like that is the best part of doing what I do is I get to look a high schooler in the eye who was standing exactly where I was feeling the way I was. Mm -hmm. And I get to be like, look, this is you at 34. Like this can be you at 34 if that's what you want. And I, it's truly just an incredible thing that I get to be a part of. Yeah. Cause you now go around and take this message to schools. I know you were just recently in, was it Oklahoma out there speaking and sharing your story? Yeah, I've been to Oklahoma, Illinois, Michigan, Iowa, Oregon. Yeah. Is there like a, is there kind of an intention that drives you when you show up in front of those crowds and something that you kind of tell yourself or a message, kind of a core message that you're, you're wanting to get across when you, when you speak? First and foremost, I just want everyone in the world to hear a story of someone who got through it. Yeah. Because I think that that would have helped me just knowing that I wasn't crazy, that Mm -hmm. this is so common. I mean, someone completes suicide in our country, something about every 12 minutes, Mm -hmm. you know, we lost nearly 50,000 people to suicide in 2021. That's a stadium full of people that we're losing every year Mm. where we're not talking about it. And we only hear about it usually if it's an athlete or a celebrity. And so I, I tell myself, I truly like have the best job in the world because I just get to be a hope deliverer. Like I just get to show up and not every kid needs to hear, you know, how every kid's suicidal, but they might have a friend is right. And so they're learning how to be that friend who's not bursting into tears when someone shares. Right. So I'm just, trying to help every little aspect and doing my little piece. And, you know, it's funny. I still have those middle school like fears of like, Oh, am I cool enough? And are they going to make fun of my shirt? And, um, but at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's joyful. 
Yeah. It's joyful to get to do this work. Does that ever go away where we're like always trying to be part of the, the cool crowd? I, 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 I am almost like embarrassed and not, I'm not embarrassed to admit it, I guess. I feel like I, I still carry that around with me at the age of, I turned 37 this year and I still feel like I'm trying to be part of the cool kids. A hundred percent. What is that? I know. And I shouldn't even say, what is that? I think I know what that it is. That <laughs> just gets so deeply ingrained. It does. At such a young age. And then you spend time with those people and you're like, mm, I think I'm good. <laughs> it's yeah. like, I actually like my life a little yeah. better. It's just wild how much we, you know, just in those formative years, that, that middle school environment, I know at least for me, was Same. brutal. Same. And laid a lot of, a lot of groundwork for... The reason I still see a therapist on a regular basis. One, one of the one of the many reasons. <laughs> when it comes to to taking care of your mental health, still here today, um, I love that you're you're open and honest. That you know this isn't just something that magically disappears. Like you have more tools, you said, to to maneuver these things when they arise and when tough days happen. Kind of different ways to to flow with it. What helps you? What's kind of, what's in your, your mental health toolkit that's been most helpful for you? Kind of my biggest aha moment with my depression was feeling like you're actually battling a war on three fronts. Like there's a very physical side of mental health and depression, what's happening in your body and how you care for your body. Things like exercise, sleep, uh, you know, even medication falls into that. But the foods that you're eating, there's so much research. And everyone has mental health. You don't have to have mental yep. illness. But the research more and more shows how impactful all of those things are. There's a very mental side to this, of course. Have you processed and worked through some trauma? How do you talk to yourself? Mm -hmm. You know, are you your biggest cheerleader or your own worst enemy? Our relationships and the boundaries that we set with people, when we do we allow people to treat us like crap or do we stand up for ourselves? Mm -hmm. There's a whole mental toolkit. And then there's a whole nother side, whether that's spiritual or purpose, mm -hmm. there's a whole nother side of this like, what does my life mean? What, what am I here for? Am I just here to work 40 years, pay bills and die? Because that doesn't seem very meaningful. So mm -hmm. it's this other piece of like, how do I connect to the world around me? And how do I help other people? And, and what, is, what, is, what does my life mean? So the trick is you're, you're fighting each one of those, right? And yeah. you almost have to identify in the moment, like sometimes literally I'm like, oh, my mental health is tanking and I just need to eat and drink water. Like yeah. it's that simple. Or yep. I just need a nap. You know, it, it's not like, oh, I need to go journal for two hours. And sometimes it's that too, right? Sometimes mm -hmm. I'm just really high emotion and I need to process. So the trick is kind of developing that each of those toolboxes and then recognizing and, and just kind of trial and error. Okay, what, what do I need today? All right, the nap didn't help, Yep. right? It's, um, my grandma used to say, never let yourself get too hungry, too tired, or too lonely. Mm -hmm. And and sometimes just those foundational things can make make such a big difference. So true. The drinking water thing. I've been going through some emotional things in my life over the last like six months or so where I've I've been crying a lot more than mm. I probably ever have in my entire life. Mm. And I would just find like my system, I would just crash like mm. throughout the day. And so I was told like, hey, you need to make sure that you're hydrating. And I, it, and it sounded so like, oh my, like, that's not going to help me. Like I need more than just water. 
steps. But I started drinking water and oh my gosh, it helped. <laughs> you well, know, it, it, not that it like absolutely. took away everything, but it was like, wow, yeah, my body needed to be hydrated. So sometimes it can be really basic. Absolutely. And, you know, when we seek help for our mental health, when you go to the doctor, maybe they focus on that physical stuff if you're yeah. lucky. But a lot of times it's just like, let's try pills. Yeah. And you go to a therapist and they're like, they're dealing with the mental stuff, the self-talk, you know, all of that. But they sometimes forget, like, are you exercising? Are you drinking water? Yeah. Right? So it's like, sometimes we have to be our own advocates and just, yeah. So, literally, sometimes it might be as simple as, I need to drink more water. Yeah. And I always think, too, um, it's so easy to, to fall into this place of, I need to figure out the one thing that's going to take all the pain away or it's going to, mm. you know, take all the anxiety away or, you know, whatever it is. And... Maybe that works for some people out there, but I, I know for me, what was really the game changer was, you know, how do I structure my days to the best of mm. my ability where I'm kind of tapping into some of these mm-hmm. different tools in the toolkit, not to necessarily get all those things, the, the pain to go away, but just to at least get me into a place. It's like to prop me up enough mm. just so that I can like draw upon the tools that I have. So true. Like those tools are like more accessible when I'm doing the basic foundational things. Absolutely. I mean, I walk almost every morning. And when I tell you that's one of the best things for my mental health, it sounds so dumb. I feel Mm. dumb saying it right now, but it's like a 30 to 45 minute walk, especially outside can change my entire day. Yeah. But we sometimes just like you were saying, overcomplicate it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think too, just, it's, it's always a good thing to just kind of be thinking about out there to everybody that's listening. Like, well, yeah, like what are those things? Like, what are those things that you can put in your toolkit? And I think the more things in there, the better. Cause like just, one day it might be one thing. The next day it might be another thing. And it, we just kind of lean into those. And if I could just encourage anyone listening, who's maybe struggling, just try, just try one thing, mm-hmm. right? Try the morning walk. It might not work for you, but just keep trying. And eventually you're going to be like, oh yeah, going to the gym actually is core. Okay, I'm going to prioritize that or, or whatever that is for you. Yeah, and, and it's like if you if you go to the go on the walk and you still feel the anxiety, it doesn't mean that you're doing it wrong. Right. Like those two things can kind of coexist. We can like go on the walk and take yes. care of ourselves and maybe make things a little bit lighter, even just like mm-hmm. a fraction of, of a bit lighter. And, and if that anxiety or that thought or the depression still kind of shows up, it's it, it's easy, at least for me sometimes in those moments to like freak out and be like, hmm. damn it, it's there See? again. I told you it wasn't going to work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like it's so easy to fall into that. But I think it's like a, it's like a momentum thing. I was just going to say know? that exact word, momentum, like getting momentum in your mental health, just doing one little thing every day, especially if you're listening and you're in a really dark place, it can be organize the closet for Mm. 10 minutes, but just pick one thing every day and just get that momentum going. Trick your brain into seeing that, you know, things can get better slowly Mm -hmm. um, and just be really just committed to one thing every day and just get that momentum going. I was listening to, um, doing my research on you. I was listening to one of the a podcast that you were on and you were, you were talking about kind of that balance between, I think you described it as like almost like softness and like grace mm-hmm. and comforting ourselves. And also kind of maybe that more like masculine energy of like taking action mm. and the importance of kind of having both of those things. 
Can you talk more about that? That is maybe my biggest struggle with mental health. And I think for a lot of people, it's, you know, we, for most of us, we tend to gravitate towards one or the other. Mm -hmm. You know, some of us, we need to rest and slow down. You know, when you are suicidal, your brain is fighting to stay alive and using a lot of your energy to stay alive. Mm. And that's okay. It's okay to rest. And, and sometimes we got to push ourselves to do the things we don't feel like doing. Mm-hmm. And that is really hard to hear when you're in that really dark place. Cause like I said before, it can be so addicting to just sit in the dark room by yourself. Mm-hmm. It feels good. Isn't the right word, but a person in that place needs to find that push a little bit and that momentum. And for some people you've just been running your whole life and you've never stopped to process or rest and and heal and so i am constantly asking myself that do i need to push or do i need to rest yes and i struggle with the rest i'm just wired a little different it's so it's hard for me to just sit around yeah sometimes that's what we need and it's it's funny because i feel like i'm more a little bit more on the opposite end where i feel like i i tend to gravitate much more to the more like softer practices like meditating and breath work and you know kind of the the real like i'm gonna go sit in the sauna mm. and, and like and all of those things are deeply important for my routine and yet i've also recognized that if i stop too much in those places i just kind of get into like this ruminatory pattern mm. where i'm just sitting i'm not i'm thinking about all the things that i could be doing mm. to make my life <laughs> more healthy and more fulfilling and more joyful but I'm not actually doing that, <laughs> right? And so that I, the action piece tends to be the bigger struggle for me. So it's it's interesting just how everybody is maybe a little bit wired differently in that area. And the breathwork and meditation scares the crap out of yeah, me. Yeah, isn't that <laughs> interesting? It's like, yeah. It can feel torturous to me. Yeah. And what a great opportunity for us to grow, right? It's like yep. push yourself into those uncomfortable things. Yep. And what's and so funny about that, that's where I feel the most comfortable. Mm-hmm. So like... I feel like, oh my God, get me into breath work and meditation. Like I could hang out there my entire life, but pushing and going out sometimes and like being social or I don't know, like getting into those like uncomfortable more activated spaces feel really hard for me. So, so, so I'll teach you how to meditate. <laughs> you can teach me how to take and I'll action. I'll nag you about, <laughs> getting about, your doing, things done. about doing the things. <laughs> Is there anything that you would want to say to, you know, I think a lot about your recommendations to people who are listening to this, who maybe have a loved one or a friend or just somebody that they care about who's really struggling. Um, I'm always interested in just kind of what, what your thoughts are about how to best show up for that person. If they, if they come to you and they tell you that they're, they're struggling with, a lot of this stuff that we've talked about. Yeah. So let's break it down into two kind of categories. One, if it's an immediate disclosure, someone's just telling you in the moment, I'm feeling suicidal. Mm -hmm. Truly the best gift you can give them is to just listen. You don't have to fix. You don't need any quick answers. Don't panic. Just take a deep breath. Affirm you're not going anywhere. Affirm that you care about them. Just that empathy piece of, ah, that must really hurt. And I'm so sorry you're going through that. 
thank you for telling me I'm here. We're going to get you through it. Mm-hmm. People who this is an ongoing thing, they're listening. Okay. How do I support someone? They've told me yeah. now what, you know, that's a, that's another conversation for that. First and foremost, don't ever be the sole caregiver for someone who's feeling suicidal. Um, tell them they can choose who that third person is, but you need to bring someone in. Mm. It is too heavy and too much for one person to carry that. Even therapists often go to their own therapy and it's important. And I hope that that person can be a doctor. Like if someone's struggling and they haven't seen medical help, your primary care doctor can be the best place to just start that conversation. They can give you a little screener for depression, anxiety, Uh, a therapist or a counselor is a really good place to go and to start. Mm -hmm. If you're looking for practical things to do that for that person, first and foremost, ask. I mean, Mm -hmm. every single human's different. Some people, a a lot of people will share that the practical things help them the most, Mm -hmm. you know, bringing them food or helping them with laundry if, if they're vulnerable enough to let you, checking in on them. You know, when I'm in a really dark place, I just say no to all plans, but please don't stop inviting me, right? It's mm-hmm. like as a friend, we we start to get annoyed when someone never invite or never completes, but like that seems like a really basic thing, but just continuing to invite someone out. You know, one of my friends has this phrase, they said, "Hey, do you do you just want to go distract your brain for a while?" And that's yeah. one of my favorite things that I he says that. to me. And maybe we just go watch a movie or something. Um And the other part of this, if you're thinking about opening that conversation, so I guess is, you know, if maybe you're suspecting someone in your life, just expressing it as care. Hey, I've just noticed, you know, you seem down, you seem distant. Is there anything I can do? And and finding ways without shame to just open up those conversations. I mean, those are, it is amazing how much listening and just being present with someone can change their whole life truthfully yeah Yeah. do you remember things that were helpful that people maybe said to you when when you remember being in in some of those really dark places i can tell you what what didn't um Mm. you know one of the people i was absolute closest to said we knew you were struggling but we didn't know what to say Mm. And four months went by. Mm. And maybe I, I, I can empathize that, you know, you don't want to say the wrong thing. And we don't have education about how to love people who are feeling this way. And we're scared. And all of those emotions disappearing is maybe the worst thing you can do mm. for me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we think we have to have the answers. And truthfully just being in it with me and not being afraid of how dark my brain can get. Yeah. And not everyone has the tools to handle that, you know, and that's okay. But we all need a handful of people. Yeah. And now that I have those people in my thirties, I'm like, I, I got this, you know, for sure. I've got people who they're willing to see the dark parts of me and aren't afraid they're not running and that that has changed everything for me and what a good lesson that you don't have to you don't have to say the perfect thing all the time right like there's i think i I almost find that sometimes why people do disappear is because they they feel like Mm -hmm. i don't know what to say so i'm just yeah like i'm not gonna say anything at all 
and I'm going to retreat from that person. And I, I, I always try to get that message across that you don't have to do it perfectly all the time. You know, like just saying to somebody, I don't know what to say to you, but like, I just want you to know that I'm here and I will listen as many times as you need to talk about it. And I love what you talk about with, do you want to just go distract your brain for a little bit? Cause I think that I, you know, I think sometimes about like when I'm really having a tough day, it feels sometimes what actually probably prevents me from reaching out to people is like, I don't want to get into all of it. Mm -hmm. Like I I don't want to have to like sit down and talk about everything that's going on in my brain. I've been doing that all day. I don't, I want to like get away from that for a Mm -hmm. little bit. And so I think that invitation of, we don't have to talk about anything that you don't want to talk about, but let's go watch a movie or let's go for a walk. I think that that's, that's pretty, that can be really powerful. Well, and no study has found that talking about suicide makes it any more likely that someone will attempt and makes it much more likely that they'll seek help. So I think Mm -hmm. that that idea that we can't talk about this is rooted in a fallacy. You know, we think, Oh, if we bring this up or, Oh, if we're open about it, we're going to cause more harm. And that just isn't true. The more Mm -hmm. that we normalize it and just make it okay that this is part of the human experience. It doesn't mean someone, you know, there's no shame for feeling that way. Mm-hmm. That I think does so much more good. And, and we, we don't have to be afraid to talk about yeah. suicide. I know it's this word where we're like, Oh, shh, no, don't yeah. say it. But we don't, we don't have to be afraid to be open about it. You have a really beautiful story about your trip to Africa. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. So after my attempt, kind of as I mentioned before, but what I decided to do is I was going to do one thing every single day that made my life better or made the world a better place. And I took a picture of it. Mm. Uh, and so I had, as the months went on, my I could my brain couldn't tell me that there was no hope anymore because I had an entire photo album of meeting people for coffee, cooking new recipes. Mm. And, and as I continued to do this, like the things got a little bit more crazy that I was going to do. Like I always wanted to travel the world. By the way, I'm still $90,000 in student debt. So like mm. traveling, not really an option. Yeah. I decided to try out for a band that was traveling through Zimbabwe and Africa for a summer. I was like, well, surely I won't make it. And then I had to fundraise. I did make it. I had to fundraise $4,500 and I was like, surely no one's going to give me money. They did. I fundraised every dollar of it. And then there I was 18 months after my suicide attempt, I was standing at Victoria Falls, which is one of the seven natural wonders of the world. Hmm. It is a waterfall from as far left as you can see as far right. Like it is unbelievable. And I just sat there in front of this and I was just sobbing Hmm. because it finally hit me that I truly believed there would be another there wouldn't be another day worth living. Mm. I truly thought there was nothing that was going to happen in my future that I wanted to be there to see and I was so wrong and I continue to be wrong. Are there still hard months? Yes, absolutely. I live in Minnesota. It's cold. <laughs> and like my life since I finished a marathon. I was never the athletic kid. I ran 26 miles. It was awful. Don't do it. It's Mm -hmm. so bad, but I did it. I've been to Puerto Rico. I've been to Europe. I've been to Haiti. I started my own business. Like my life has just become this message that it it can get better. And that standing in Africa, that was, that was the start of it was 
and being present in those moments of our lives. You know, yeah. when we have these really beautiful moments, be in the moment, you know, mm-hmm. and appreciate just the adventure and, and, and how fun it can be to be alive. Yeah. So amazing. And I, it makes me think a little bit. I do a, I do a gratitude journal. I've been doing it since college. We're just mm-hmm. like every night I, I just write down one thing that I was grateful for that day or one thing that made me happy that day. And it's amazing how even on the hardest days, there's usually at least one thing. Mm-hmm. And, and some days it might even just be, I'm sitting in bed with my dog right now mm-hmm. and I'm, I have a roof over my head. Yep. You know, sometimes it's very foundational like that. But, um, I just thought of that when you were talking about like that picture, like, like it, it's like proving to yourself cause we forget about it, right? Like we forget about all the beautiful things that are going on in our life. If we don't intentionally sometimes document them and make it a, make it a priority to, to really focus on those things. And that's not to like deny the hard things. Mm. That's not to say like kind of that toxic, like positive vibes only kind of thing. Yes. You know, I mean, it's not, it's, it's honoring. We can honor both things, but I think some kind of a practice like that where we're truly letting ourselves see and be with what's going right in our life can be really powerful. A hundred percent. I mean, anxiety is living in the future, right? Your brain Mm -hmm. is obsessed with what could happen or what could go wrong. Oftentimes depression for me was living in the past. It was your life has been hard. You've experienced Mm -hmm. all this pain. It's always going to be painful. Mm -hmm. And how do we heal those parts of ourselves so that we can just be here? You know, we can be mindful of the future. We can hope for the future. We don't have to live there, you know? Um, As we kind of start to wrap up here, what do you, what do you want to say to to anybody who's listening to this right now who hit play on this podcast because they're they're in a in a dark space and they're they're having a hard time and things feel heavy and things feel really hard and shame and isolation and all those things might be going on. Um, what do you want to say to that person? First and foremost, just that I see you, mm-hmm. and that you. It sounds so cliche you're not alone in what you're feeling at all. You don't have to believe everything that you think. Our brains lie to us. Mm -hmm. Part of mental illness is not seeing the world as it really is. You know, the best analogy I can come up with is like someone who's battling anorexia, an eating disorder where they stop eating. And you'll hear stories of people in treatment who are wasting away. They're literally dying. They might weigh 60 or 70 pounds and they will look in the mirror and they'll say, I am fat. Mm -hmm. That twisted brain that distortion is what it's like to feel depressed and suicidal you're not experiencing the world as it really is and Mm -hmm. there is so much help and hope to move through that it's it's probably not going to be instantaneous but take those one steps right look through that balance of pushing yourself and caring for yourself Mm -hmm. tell one person today just open that door to one trusted person whether that's a doctor a therapist a friend trust someone with it you don't have to fix it all today but let my story be the proof that i i promise you can get through it i promise that you can just keep doing those little things and and keep fighting because it does it gets better yeah well sam thank you for 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 taking the time to to have the conversation and just thank you for all that you're doing you know out there in the world 
I think the, the ripple effects of your story and your message and the people that you're reaching, you probably won't ever really know what those mm. ripple effects are. So um, thanks for being you. Mm. Thank you. Once again, uh, a big thank you to Sam for, for joining us here on the episode and uh, just so um, so powerful, so powerful the work that, that Sam is doing out there in the world. Um, be sure to follow Sam on Instagram um, and TikTok. Uh, if you're on those platforms, um, he is at Recklessly Alive. And uh, also go to recklesslyalive.com. That's where you can learn a lot more about Sam, his work. If you want him, want to book him to speak at a uh, school or an organization, um, that's where you can find information about that. Also encourage you to, to check out his book. You can find it on Amazon. It is called Recklessly Alive, What My Suicide Attempt Taught Me About God and Living Life to the Fullest. So um, lots of different ways to interact with Sam and, and follow along. So uh, thanks for being here, my friends. Be gentle with you out there one moment at a time. As always, uh, take what serves you from this conversation and, and leave the rest, okay? We'll talk to you soon. Also, just a reminder that this podcast is not meant to replace work with a therapist. And so if you feel you need it, encourage you to reach out to a trained mental health professional. All right, we'll talk soon.